This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. Are you managing an art collection or an artist studio or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and you can use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and so much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com today to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. It's been really unfortunate to see another wave of the virus in several parts of Europe. I'm hopeful that more and more people take the vaccine and eventually... The number of cases fall and we can get back to a new normal and return to traveling to see art and hopefully see each other real soon. It feels like there's a new art-themed film every few months and one we recently watched that we really enjoyed was Made You Look, a true story about fake art, which is now available on Netflix. The film chronicles the events of the largest art fraud in American history when Nodler Gallery in New York City sold fake artworks by Famed artists including Jackson Pollock, Mark Rothko, William de Kooning, Robert Motherwell, Richard Diebenkorn, the list goes on and on. I remember following the case almost a decade ago, and the documentary does a superb job telling the story of this major fraud, and in it you hear from so many of the major players involved. So in this week's episode, we chat with the director of the film, Barry Averich. He's a producer and director at Melbar Entertainment Group. We speak to Barry about why he chose to make a documentary about this notorious fraud case and what it was like to make it. I hope you enjoy the conversation and thanks so much for listening. Barry, thanks so much for chatting with us. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you. So the majority of our listeners are involved in the art world in some capacity, whether they're a collector or they're an artist or they work in the art world. So I think a lot of them have some recollection about the Nodler Gallery fraud. It was such a big deal. But for some of our listeners who don't remember it, um, or for some of them who do remember but they're a little fuzzy on the details, can you catch us up briefly on what exactly occurred and what you're focused on in the documentary? Well, this is the spectacular catch-me-if-you-can type story uh, that centers around a art gallery in New York City, a famous art gallery, legendary, that's been around in New York for over 100 years. That became the epicenter over a decade, uh, for over a decade of, of, uh, of almost uh, being a clearinghouse of fake art. So some 60 paintings that were ultimately sold for $80 million dollars that turned out to be forgeries. Uh, and uh, this was a, a couple, uh, this uh, man and wife, uh, Clefira Rosales and Carlos Bergantinos Diaz, I call them the Bonnie and Clyde of art, who were bringing in spectacular forgeries into the Nodler Gallery, uh, and that's the name of the gallery, uh, to sell art. And Nodler Gallery would take these paintings and then sell them to uh, uh, fabulously wealthy collectors and and uh, other uh, galleries and museums around the world. 
I really enjoyed your documentary, and I think so many of us followed this case when it was unfolding just under a decade ago, but it was really fascinating to hear the full story in your documentary and also to hear the story directly from so many of the major players involved. What inspired you to make a documentary about this unprecedented fraud? Well, the story had, you know, all the kind of dream casting you'd want as a director, you know, the shadowy uh, Spanish and Mexican villains, the uh, allegedly unsuspecting, uh, uh, you know, brilliant but yet, you know, uh, ignorant uh, gallery director. Is she guilty? Is she not guilty? Uh, the forger himself, uh, um, um, who fled to ends up fleeing to um, Shanghai, uh, and, and so it just sort of had all the elements that I loved. I had done a film earlier, uh, a few years earlier, called Blurred Lines, that was on Netflix as well, that looked at. Uh, the contemporary art world, uh, and from a you know a, a layman's perspective of how opaque and unusual the art world is, so I didn't think that I'd necessarily jump back in again. But this story was unbelievable. Uh, Vanity Fair and the New York Times covered it extensively, with trials and and uh, and all kinds of uh, forensic evidence and interesting things that I, it it was a story that just kept on giving. And it, it, the the fraud itself went on for ten years, but the the you know the last civil lawsuit against the Nodler Gallery was only settled last year. Uh, and I think, you know, the most famous name attached to this case is Michael Hammer, of, of, you know, the grandson of, of the great, you know, industrialist billionaire Armin Hammer. And of course, Michael Hammer is famous for being the father of, uh, of uh, the scandal-plagued actor Army Hammer right now. So uh, this, uh, this film sort of has that... Uh, uh, almost um, uh, infamous uh, six degrees of separation. I remember following the case, but I didn't recall all of the details. And as I started watching the documentary, I found it really interesting that Anne Friedman, who was the director of the Nodler Gallery, who was selling these fake artworks, agreed to participate in your film. I would have thought she would have wanted nothing to do with anything that would focus on the scandal. But as I watched more of the documentary, I realized that Anne actually seems to be dedicating the rest of her life, really, to trying to vindicate herself and trying to prove that she didn't knowingly sell fakes and that she did all of the appropriate due diligence necessary to prove these artworks were authentic. And I think to her credit, to some extent, she did get some experts I guess this is disputed, but she did get some experts to agree that they were authentic. And the paintings were lent to prominent museum curators for museum exhibitions, and the artworks were featured in several publications. So I'm curious, how eager was Anne to participate in the documentary? And also, where do you fall in terms of if Anne knew all along these were fakes, or she didn't know at all, or maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle? Well, I, you know, I, I've made close to 50 documentaries, and I generally, my MO, unlike Michael Moore, who I feel edits and manipulates you into an opinion, I've always let the audience decide. I put the case out there, I paint the picture, literally, I, I let you, you know, go inside the heads of the characters, and then you decide. I, I think with reference to Anne Friedman, I, I don't, I wouldn't call her an, you know, an overly eager participant in the film. I, I, I know for a fact that she gravely regrets being in it now but Anne you know felt that perhaps the film could be a vindication for her and that she'd get to tell her side of the story and what I said to her was I, I could not guarantee you that this would be your vindication however unlike doing you know a minute and a half on 
American Greed or 60 Minutes that she turned down or 2020, that you would have a, a much wider breadth of of, uh, of to tell your case in a film that's 90 minutes versus you know a, a two minute pop on that end of it. And I spent probably you know 30 hours filming her uh, and even more. Uh, socially, uh, you know, listening to her story. So, uh, you know, in terms of my own perspective on on Anne Friedman, I don't I don't believe that she got into this scheme to uh, intentionally deceive and and uh, and sell fake art. Uh, you know, I think she did get conned. Uh, I think you know where she has a problem is that you know uh, as the red flags began to wave in the wind, uh, more and more of them, then perhaps. She should have had grave doubts, uh, but this was very, very good for everybody in the art world. For you know, this gallery, Nodler, to make this discovery and, and keep uh, selling, uh, you know, this abstract expressionist art to to you know, very, very important collectors. Everybody made money here. Yeah, and so I guess at the end of the day, it really seems like the main themes in this documentary and in this fraud case is, you know, this is about greed and about deception. Is that right? Well, exactly, and and, and I, I think that uh, you know definitely. I, I think the reality of it is is that you know if if you look at the the full chain of of people involved uh, in this, uh, you know, from the forger to the uh, you know villain sellers, uh, Carlos Bergantino and his wife, uh, to Anne Friedman. Uh, people forget the art consultants. Uh, the art consultants play a huge role in the art world in helping their clients find art, uh, appreciate art, collect art, and negotiate. Uh, and what's happened with art collectors, with art consultants rather, is that they have begun to teach their uh, clients how to buy with their ears and not their eyes. In other words, gee, Adam, this is such an important painting for you to have in your collection. Gee, Adam, you should have this because that will open up uh, uh, you to uh, other pieces that a gallery might not show you. Gee, Adam, this might get you into important art shows where you where you wouldn't normally be uh, uh, invited to. Gee, Adam, if you buy this piece, it's going to appreciate in value, uh, and you're going to make a lot of money on it. Never in that exchange of conversation is, do you love it? They don't care. Art consultants are making money uh, from you know by finding you the art. Uh, selling you the art and, and bo- in, in two ways, and so they don't care. And so I, I think they're just as culpable here because certainly there were art consultants in this Nodler gallery scandal who were telling their clients, gee, this is great. It's a great price. You should, it's a Rothko. Got to have it. Well, when you're dealing with historical artworks, usually collectors are less knowledgeable than dealers, and so they're already at a disadvantage, really. And so if you have an art consultant helping you, they better be doing their own independent research about things like authenticity, especially if there's an ambiguous provenance as there was with these paintings. And clearly it seems that didn't happen in this case. Another interesting aspect of this story is how it wasn't just the collectors who were fooled, it wasn't just Anne Friedman who was fooled, but... Many experts of these artists were fooled, those who could authenticate. How can collectors really be and feel secure about doing these kind of transactions, especially for these historical works, if so many supposed experts can be fooled? And I say historical works because, well, if the artist is alive, then usually you can ask the artist to authenticate a work if necessary. 
Well, first of all, they should never feel secure. I mean, you know, you want to do your due diligence, and and uh, you know, there's, there's lots of people who made the analogy while I was making. In this film, that oh gee, how can you blame these people if you go to Tiffany's and buy your significant other an engagement ring that you don't ask for a proof of where the diamond came from and what mine and who mined it? Uh, ultimately, it's Tiffany's. You, you trust the blue box, and that's what people think about Nodler, the thought about the Nodler Gallery. If you're buying from the prestigious Nodler Gallery over 115 years in business, then there's you don't have to do any due diligence. But art is not regulated. It's opaque. Uh, there's, uh, you know, an ocean of fakes out there that you, you know, first of all, lesson one is buy it because you love it. Do you really love it? Stop listening to an art consultant who tells you that you should own it. Art consultants do play an important role in, in giving you, you know, the the history of, of the period, the history of the painter. They will help you get into the galleries and negotiate your way around things if you just don't know and build your collection. But ultimately, if you don't love what's hanging on the wall, then you know, get the hell out of Dodge. You shouldn't even be looking at it. I, I, I collect art, but nowhere in that snack bracket. But I come home and I look at the art on the walls of my office or my, or my home, rather, and I, I, I makes me feel good. So buy art because you love it. And if you are going to be spending a significant amount of money, then you know you you have every right to ask the gallery for you know a, a contract that guarantees that the art's real and any sort of background on the art and the provenance of it. The greatest provenance they always say is the artist himself uh, photograph the artist himself standing in front of that piece of art painting it. Uh, but that's often tough to find, uh, you know. But you should still do the work and ask. Definitely. And I think another really fascinating aspect of this story is Glafira Rosales, who was selling these fakes to Anne Freeman and Nodler Gallery, and also the forger who was making these uh, paintings for Glafira Rosales. They really committed the original fraud, but they almost feel like they aren't a vocal point of the trial and of people's memories of this fraud even. They almost feel like an afterthought in this entire thing. Why do these two prominent figures in this historic fraud almost escape blame and it really all falls on the hands of Anne? Is that how it played out? And if so, why do you think that's how it happened? It's the trajectory of our story because, you know, and the story, ultimately, you know, the Glafiras and the patient Quinn, the forger, and, and uh, Carlos disappear. And so, you know, if, if you're, if Ann Friedman and the Nodler Gallery are the, you know, the, the uh, center point of where the collectors found the art, she's the ultimate distributor, then yes, it falls on her because nobody had had a relationship with Carlos or, or Glafira other than Ann Friedman. Ann Friedman to this day claims she never met Carlos Bergantino. Maybe she didn't. But, you know, so ultimately the famous people, the art collectors, the billionaires and millionaires only know Nodler, and so they're going to get into the headline. And the only person that saw any jail time really was Glafira, you know, who served uh, some, you know, some time as she was waiting for to go to trial. Uh, and ultimately, the Southern District of New York uh, really had no interest in forgeries or, or really cared. What they cared about was money laundering and wire fraud, and that's what brought down Glafira. But uh, Anne Friedman certainly was never charged with anything. You spoke with a lot of experts in the art world during the filming of this documentary. What was the impact of this fraud on the art world? And did it change in any meaningful way how the art world behaves when it comes to buying and selling art? Or are things pretty much the same now as they were then? <laughs> well, I think for a short blip while this film is trending, I think people, you know, you educate people a little bit, but, you know, the, those who want to buy will buy uh, and they'll find excuses. 
as to why they uh, should have it and overlook flaws. It's not unlike being in a relationship and being told over and over and over, gee, you know, Adam's a bad guy, Adam's this, Adam's that, but, you know, the you want to you believe and you want to think that you can, you know, live with Adam, and so sort of use you as an example, so you sort of overlook, and so, you know, people do overlook the flaws. Uh, I, I don't think it'll change everything because the artwork, art world is not regulated. Uh, the galleries themselves really do not uh, have uh, uh, any requirement by law to uh, tell you anything about how they come up with the prices and you know and what the background is on anything. Uh, they're not even legally responsible to give you you know a provenance on the art. So uh, they they you know you you should as a collector ask for it to be certified that it's real uh, and and off you go. But so I don't think it's changed anything. I think you know it, whether you're in a rep- uh, you know recession. Whether you're in, you know, uh, the worst scandal in the world, uh, you know, the the uh, auction houses and now the galleries, which themselves have become, you know, huge distributors, the museums, everybody continues to sell art at, at insane prices. I mean, I'm sure you saw it last week. A, you know, a, a piece of digital art sold for 69 million. So that's the world we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Barry, really appreciate you chatting with us about your new film, Made You Look, a true story about fake art, which is now available on Netflix. You do a great job telling this notorious art fraud story from so many different perspectives. Thanks so much again for joining us. Anytime, Adam. Be well. Thanks so much to ArtBase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art business. ArtBase lets you track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data just once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.